You are listening to the Krika Lecture Series podcast, produced by the Center for Russia, East Europe, and Central Asia at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This and other Krika podcasts are available on SoundCloud and iTunes. For more information about Krika's lecture series and public events, visit our website at krika.wisc.edu. Welcome. My name is Ted Gerber. I'm the director of Krika, and it's a pleasure to welcome you to this weekly installment of our lecture series. Um, today, we're pleasure or pleased to welcome back uh, to Krika Professor Don Piankosh, who previously gave talks at Krika um, Kosciusko in the American Revolution. Um, he's also talked about uh, the impact of World War I on the rebirth of Poland. He is a professor emeritus of political science at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, where he taught courses on Soviet and post-Soviet politics and also foreign policy and the politics of Eastern Europe from 1969 to 2013. Uh, he was the founder of the Russian and East European Studies Committee in 1970 at UW-Milwaukee and also the Polish Studies Committee in 1979. His many publications have focused on Poland and the Polish diaspora in America, in the 1990s, he was engaged in uh, the admission of Poland, the Czech Republic, and Hungary into the NATO alliance. So he's done some work in the real world, not just in academia. And his work has been recognized on several occasions, notably in 2010, when he received the Officer's Cross of Service from the President of Poland. Um, so uh, we are very grateful, Ikrika, to the Polish Heritage Club of Madison for co-sponsoring this event. Uh, and uh, we, we also posted on the website some documents that uh, Don, uh, Professor Pinkos has provided us uh, referring to with some information about Polish history and Poland's elections since 1989. Uh, so one final note, and that is uh, we had a few unforeseen technical difficulties. So uh, Professor Pinkos will be presenting his talk via phone today. Um, so we're not seeing him, unfortunately. But uh, we will hear his lecture, and we are going to be sharing his slides, which he's provided us separately. So we're going to be managing the slides. So please, everybody, make sure that you mute your microphones during the talk. And um, uh, let me then uh, give you the title of the presentation today, which is uh, Since 1989, Poland's Democratic Experience. So welcome, Professor Pinkos. We look forward to your lecture. Well, thank you very much uh, uh, for the invitation to uh, speak today to you. And of course, I want to thank uh, uh, Jennifer Tischler for uh, Krika for inviting me to speak and Veronica for her assistance. And of course, I want to also thank Elena Franczek uh, from our University of Wisconsin and uh, Polish Heritage Club for helping to arrange this uh, talk that I'm giving today. So I thank you very much, all of you. And uh, uh, I just wanted to uh, say that, of course, my talk, which is titled uh, uh, Since 1989, uh, Poland's Democratic Experience, uh, I, I have provided uh, all of you with a number of uh, visuals and a number of attachments, which uh, are all for your benefit and for your use uh, either, you know, after my talk, you all have them. So I want you to be able to have them. They're just uh, wonderful things. I hope that you will appreciate. Uh, let me just uh, refer to them in the very beginning. 
by identifying what they're all about. The first attachment I think Veronica will be showing you are simply some visuals that have a lot to do with Poland's democratic experience, uh, not only since 1989, but even uh, in the 20th century. So uh, let me just, uh, uh, I think uh, I'm going to be doing this sort of from memory, but I think I can go through these with you very quickly. The first one, I think, is a series of maps. Is that right? Am I correct? The, there is a series of maps on one page. Uh, this is a uh, not it's not a Polish Rorschach test, by the way, but this is a way of understanding a very important aspect of Poland's political experience, not only since 1989, but throughout its history. And of course, what it shows is how Poland's borders have changed so dramatically over its more than 1,000 years of history. If you look at this uh, series of uh, maps uh, descriptions. There, uh, the first one on the top left, I believe, is a map of what Poland looked like uh, around the year 1000, when Poland was first recognized by the church in Rome and by the Roman, by the Holy Roman Empire as a state in Europe, and its ruler became the king of Poland. So Poland was recognized. Poland looks pretty small there. It's about 100,000 square miles, and right to the left, there is the Holy Roman Empire, and the north to it, of course, is the Baltic Sea. Then the one after that shows a totally different looking Polish state. Uh, here it's identified as the year 1492, uh, the year that Columbus discovers America. And the, the, this map shows a gigantic Poland, about 400,000 square miles, about four times bigger, and of course, a multi-ethnic state not a state that came into existence through conquest, but through the marriage in 1386 of the Queen of Poland and the Grand Duke of Lithuania. So Poland became a gigantic state, the largest in Europe for a while. Then you have a map that's below that. I think it shows Poland around the year 1677, I believe. And this is a Poland which is still pretty big, nearly 300,000 square miles, but it loses the Eastern half of Ukraine, which was part of the old Polish Commonwealth. And then you have a map that shows no Poland at all, because in 1795, the enemies of Poland, uh, Russia on the east, on the, on the right side there, the Austrian Empire to the south, and Prussian Germany to the west, they joined in and they destroyed the Polish state, they invaded Poland, and they, they partitioned it and Poland was partitioned for 123 years, did not exist, no independent Polish state. And then the next one I think shows a little teeny piece of Poland, which is uh, uh, striped. That is the semi uh, kind of Polish state that was part of the Russian empire, but it was called the Kingdom of Poland or the Congress Kingdom, created after the Congress of Vienna in 1815. And, that was under the Russian Empire, and of course the Tsar of Russia was actually King of Poland, but that was not an independent state, it was just a little entity created after the Congress of Vienna. Then you have a map on the bottom on the right, you have a picture of what Poland looked like after World War I, a country of about 35 million people, and of course to the west was Germany, to the east was the Soviet Union, and this state of about 153,000 square miles was of course destroyed 
at the beginning of World War II, Poland was attacked. That was the beginning of World War II. At the top of the map, you see Poland as it is today. And you can see it's again kind of a square territory. And uh, you'll see three major cities there, Kraków, the ancient capital of Poland, uh, a very beautiful university city. And then you have Warsaw, the capital, which is right in the middle, uh, a city of about a million and a half people today. And of course, a city that was totally leveled to the ground in World War II. In 1944, a Polish uprising, the Germans destroyed the city and they has been restored. And of course, to the north on the top there is Gdańsk, which was before the war was called Danzig, and it's now a Polish city. And of course, it's the birthplace of the Solidarity Movement. So that, that gives you a sense, I think, of Poland's situation over the centuries, not having really good natural borders, and of course, having uh, very powerful enemies that took advantage of their strength against the Polish state. Now, the next, uh, the other little attachments I've given you, uh, hopefully you will have a chance to look at them at some time. They're yours to look at. One of them gives you a kind of a capsule political history of Poland through the ages, kind of a chronological review. Then there is a, uh, a, uh, uh, an attachment that gives you all of the elections that were held in Poland from 1989 all the way to the last election, which was in uh, June and July of 2020, last, just last summer, the presidential election, the most recent one. So you have all of these elections of all of the political parties, all the candidates are all provided there. And it gives you, I think, a feeling and appreciation of the dynamism of Polish democracy since 1989. And then we have something just for you. It's, a, uh, it's a, an article I published uh, back in 1999, which re re reflected my experience uh, in efforts to bring about uh, Poland's entry into the NATO alliance here in the United States. We were very, very uh, hardworking to bring about Poland's entry, and Poland did become a member of NATO in 1999. And the article is really my personal experience in participating in the effort. And sadly enough, it's not discussed at all very much in any study of NATO expansion. It's kind of sad. And of course, finally, uh, just a little gift for you. This is a, uh, a publication that our Wisconsin Polish American Congress has created. It's called, Do You Know Poland? And it's really our effort to provide people who are interested in Poland in all of its aspects, its politics, history, culture, uh, every aspect of Poland, give, them an, give people an idea about just what are some of the really top-notch materials that are readily available if people want to find out more about this country. So those are just for you. Now, let me go into my remarks. And then when I finish, about 33, 32 minutes, I think, then we can have some questions and hopefully... Uh, we'll have a nice little discussion about this subject. In 1989, Poland emerged from 44 years of Soviet communist domination to begin building a new system of democratic governance. This was thanks to the leaders of the Solidarity Trade Union Movement. They were backed by friends from outside of Poland, most notably Pope John Paul II, the extraordinary Pope from Poland and the heads of a number of Western democracies 
starting with the United States. But given Poland's extremely difficult economic situation at the time, along with the issues that faced the country due to years of autocratic and failed Communist Party rule, plus Poland's earlier failure to establish a democratic system of government after it regained its national independence in 1918, few people observing Poland were optimistic about the chances for democracy after 1989. Why have they been proven wrong? How has Poland's democracy developed over the past three decades? And what can we learn from Poland's all too little known experience, both its successes and its challenges? Let me start by noting that Poland is a significant country in Europe and the world. It has a population of about 30 and a half, 38 million people, making it the eighth largest country in Europe after Russia, Germany, Britain, France, Italy, Spain, and Ukraine, eighth out of 45 countries in all. Poland is also one eighth the size of the United States in its population. Poland has a long recorded history going back to the year 966, over 1,050 years. Culturally, the Poles have gravitated to the West in their religious traditions, their Latin alphabet, their art, music, and architecture, <clears throat> and their political institutions. This dramatically differentiates Poland, for example, from Russia, its giant neighbor to the East. Yet another factor linking Poland to the West is its enormous emigration. Perhaps 20 million people of Polish origin in all are in the West and the rest of the world. Many of these people have remained interested and involved in the old homeland. An important but all too little known fact is Poland's history of constitutionalism. From the 1400s on, Poland had a national parliament. They elected their kings and followed the rule of law. Poland also maintained a level of religious toleration found nowhere else in Europe. In addition, Poland was not an imperialistic state and was never ruled by a dictator or a czar. At, that, at the same time, Poland's geographical location and its lack of readily defended borders made it vulnerable and ultimately victim to the increasingly powerful enemy states on its frontiers, as I mentioned with those maps. This bad luck of geography, together with a system of government that was all too weak to stand up to its enemies, resulted in the destruction of the old Polish state known today as the First Republic of Poland or the Republic of the Nobles. This happened in a series of land grabs from 1772 to 1795, and these are known as the Partitions of Poland. Poland did not regain its independence for 123 years, in 1918, at the very end of World War I. The second Polish Republic that came out of that war was burdened by a mountain of problems. The country had been devastated in a brutal war, fought on its very soil between these three empires. They were fighting each other on Polish soil. 
the new Poland had no capital to help build its economy and no foreign allies either. Poland faced all sorts of severe internal, social, and economic issues, all of them made worse by its leaders' bad decision to choose the wrong system of democratic governance for the country, one based on extreme multi-party parliamentary supremacy, a weak and divided system that simply could not deal with any of Poland's many, many problems. That system was overturned seven years later in 1926 by General Joseph Pilsudski, one of the founders of the Republic. Uh, I, you know, when I was giving those pictures of the, uh, in the beginning of our remarks, I did not go into all of these photographs. And I should really uh, mention here that one of them of course shows uh, Marshal Pilsudski uh, in the photograph, you get an idea of who he was. And one of his great achievements, of course, the victory, the victory of the Battle of Warsaw in 1920, uh, a battle which is shown on this, uh, in, those, in, those, uh, in those slides, that uh, which in fact, which where the Poles won an extraordinary dramatic victory over the Red Army. Uh, the whole Red Army was actually annihilated in this battle, and Poland was saved in 1920, and also perhaps even all of Western Europe from a possible uh, Bolshevik Russian invasion uh, aimed at revolutionizing the continent after this terrible First World War. The pictures in the, in the, in the, in the, in the photographic collection, I think I should also mention, there are pictures there, of course, of uh, Ignacy Paderewski. Paderewski, of course, is another one of the founders of the modern Polish state after 1918. He was the first prime minister of Poland. He was an extraordinarily famous uh, pianist, world famous pianist, and of course, extremely popular and influential in the United States. And there is a wonderful picture in those slides that shows uh, Paderewski and President Woodrow Wilson. You know, this it was it's based on, a, it's, a, it's a painting, a, a character, by this great artist of Poland, Arthur Schick, and it shows uh, Paderewski sitting right next to President Wilson, and together they are looking at Wilson's 14th points. Point 13 is Poland's declaration that, he's, that the United States should support a Polish independent state after the war. So one of the 14 points that Wilson used to justify Americans' involvement in World War I was independence for Poland. It's a beautiful picture, and it's very much a picture that shows the truth. And of course, there's also in these pictures uh, a number of photographs of solidarity, solidarity movement workers, the signing of the agreement that solidarity gained its independence in 1980. And we have a beautiful picture there from sometimes newspaper uh, of uh, uh, of uh, Lech Wałęsa, uh, the leader of Solidarity, that was published after the suppression of Solidarity in 1981. Uh, I should go jump back a bit. There's a picture of Paderewski, another beautiful uh, photograph, a picture, a cartoon, really. And see, the Chicago Tribune back in the before the 1970s used to publish editorial cartoons on the very front page of their newspaper, and this beautiful cartoon is published in 1940, just months after Poland was destroyed in World War II, and it shows 
Podorewski, now a very old individual, about 80 years old, watching over Poland in its desire to become free again. And of course, this little child representing Poland is playing the Polish national anthem. What a beautiful, beautiful picture that was published in the Chicago newspaper there. So there you have that. And of course, then we have some pictures of contemporary political figures. You can look at them. Uh, one, of course, is John Paul II. There's a picture of myself with President Wałęsa back in 1994 in, in Warsaw. Uh, that was at the time of the anniversary of the Warsaw Uprising, the 50th anniversary uh, in the Polish uh, presidential palace, a wonderful uh, event uh, and very meaningful event in Polish political life. Uh, there's a, there's pictures also of some of the Polish political leaders. There's a picture there of uh, Donald Tusk, the leader of the uh, Civic Platform Party. Uh, he's there. He became prime minister of Poland seven years, and he also became the head of the European Union later on. And then we have a picture of Alexander Kwasniewski, who was the second president of Poland. Uh, he was president for 10 years. And then we have a picture, I think, also there... Uh, uh, I believe there. Uh, those are the photographs uh, on that one particular page. There's also a picture there of Yaroslav Kaczynski, who is the de facto leader of the other sec major political party in Poland today. Uh, he was prime minister of Poland for a year. He, he was an unsuccessful candidate for president. And now he is the most significant leader of the dominant party in Polish political life. There's also finally a picture there of uh, the present uh, president of Poland, Andrzej Duda, and, the, and next to him is um, uh, Beata Szydło. Szydło was the prime minister of Poland after 2015 and from the Law and Justice Party, and now she's a member of the European Union Parliament in Brussels and Strasbourg. So those pictures all together hopefully give you an idea of the what we're talking about we talk about Poland's politics of the 20th century with particular emphasis on the events after 1989. There's also a picture there of the famous round table negotiations, the round table, and it was really a round table in Warsaw, and that's where Solidarity and the uh, Polish communist regime leaders met to try to figure out a way out of Poland's crisis. And so you have a whole bunch of pictures there, which I hope all mean something very much to you. Going back to my remarks, I wanted to, again, make the point, of course, that Poland after 1918 was in a frightful situation because of, of the issues that I raised. And in 1926, Marshal Piłsudski, one of the founders of the Republic, uh, uh, took power. He seized power in a coup. And why did he do that? He didn't do it except for his patriotic concern that Poland needed to have strong executive leadership, something that was lacking in the democracy that the Poles had established in 1918. This, he needed, they needed strong leadership. And uh, he felt not only domestically, but Poland had to have a strong leadership for the country to survive, uh, faced with Germany, powerful Germany on the West, powerful Soviet Union on the East. Unfortunately, despite Pilsudski's efforts, the Second Republic that was created in 1918 did not survive. 
In September 1939, Poland, a state without worthy allies, was attacked and occupied by Nazi Germany and Soviet Russia and subjected for six years to ruthless foreign domination during, of course, the Second World War. During this war, the leaders of the anti-Hitler United States-British-Soviet alliance, Roosevelt, Churchill, and Stalin, disregarded the interests of their loyal Polish ally, and they ended up consigning Poland, a devastated post-war Polish state, to Soviet domination. The Polish People's Republic that emerged in 1945 had suffered the loss of 22% of its pre-war population. Poland was 35 million in 1939. It came out of the war with about 22 million people. It had suffered initially in enormous material destruction, destruction of whole cities and a radical redrawing of its borders all against its people's wishes. From 1945 to 1989, Poland was under an alien system of rule against its inhabitants' hopes. A, a dictatorship was imposed that redirected the country to the Soviet East and re rejected their historic Western values and attachments. Tragically, Stalin even ordered his subservient Polish regime to turn down the United States offer of Marshall Plan economic aid. And after 1947, uh, that was a disaster because that aid could have well helped Poland to recover uh, after the war. Not only did the communist regime fail to win the recognition of its subjects as a legitimate system of government, the Polish People's Republic don't, its domestic economic policies largely failed. From the 1970s onward, Poland began to endure an unending period of stagnation, even depression. Looking over that sorry record, it's no surprise that the Polish Communist Party rule from 1945 to 89 was pockmarked by a series of outbreaks of popular unrest. It took place in 1956, 1968, 1970, 1976, and finally 1980. In October of 1978, a poll was elected to lead the Catholic Church in Rome. Pope John Paul II proved to be a dynamic, charismatic leader with a profound commitment to his homeland. Already in June of 1979, only months after his election, he would make the first of three extraordinary pilgrimages to communist-ruled Poland. Each time, he would affirm his countrymen's rights to freedom and social justice. Then in August 1980, and in the midst of a general economic crisis, workers in the Baltic seacoast city of Gdańsk created the Solidarity Trade Union. Amazingly, Solidarity, which identified with the ideas of John Paul II, won the regime's acceptance as an independent organization with its own uncensored newspaper. In the, in the photographs that I've given you, you see the workers in the early days of Solidarity 
supporting this movement democratically. And of course, you see the signing of the agreement between the communist regime represented by its deputy prime minister and Lech Wałęsa in, on August 31st, 1980. And then on the, then the bottom there in that same picture, you see uh, Wałęsa uh, coming out of the courthouse in October of 1980, uh, winning official recognition for the Solidarity Movement. It didn't happen easily. Uh, Solidarity had to, had to, had to demand that they, they had to call essentially a, a universal uh, a general strike for one hour to show how much opposition there was uh, to the regime's policies and the desire, of course, to have solidarity union. And of course, to, to appreciate the fact that uh, this happened, I think we, it's really a remarkable, remarkable. Amazingly, solidarity, which identified with the ideas of John Paul II, did win the regime's acceptance. With its, uh, and of course, not only acceptance as a union, but also the regime's acceptance to have a, its own uncensored newspaper. Within a few weeks after the agreement of August 31st, 1980, Solidarity had achieved nationwide standing and claimed almost 10 million members a country of 35 million, almost 10 million belonging to Solidarity. Though the union was suppressed by the regime in December of 81, underground Solidarity remained faithful to its principles. For its part, the military dictatorship that had suppressed Solidarity failed to reverse the country's economic tailspin or to win the hearts and minds of its people. On February the 6th, 1989, 32 years and 12 days ago, the regime at last sat down with solidarity leaders in the roundtable negotiations that were focused on finally confronting the country's worsening problems. These talks resulted in agreements to restore solidarity and to hold a special election to Poland's parliament on June the 4th, 1989. This election, in which 261 seats in the two houses of the Polish parliament were freely elected, while 299 were reserved to regime's candidates, had an incredible result. In the election of candidates to the newly created and largely advisory body, the 100-member Polish Senate, Solidarity leaders won 99 seats, with only one going to another candidate who actually was running as an independent. The government party did not get a single Senate seat. In the dominant 460-member National Assembly, the same, pronounced same, S-E-J-M, pronounced same, Solidarity candidates won all 161 contested seats. Of the ones that were reserved to the regime's nominees who were running unopposed, many actually were defeated when most voters followed Solidarity's urgings and crossed their names off the ballots. What a result. In the face of this humiliation, the Polish Communist Party leader called on Soviet uh, leader Mikhail Gorbachev 
to use to the army of the Soviet Union, which was inside of Poland, to save Polish socialism. When Gorbachev refused to intervene, a new solidarity-led government was born in August of 1989. In December of that year, the parliament approved the creation of a new democratically-based Polish Third Republic. Moreover, what had happened in Poland led to the collapse of Soviet-dominated satellites in Hungary, East Germany, Bulgaria, Czechoslovakia, and Romania. And in 1991, the Soviet Union itself collapsed. But would democracy in Poland survive, given the severity of its economic problems and its people's unhappy past political experience under Communist Party rule? Here the answer lies perhaps in the commitment by Poland's new solidarity-led government to making a number of rather heroic and far-sighted decisions. On the economy, it put into effect the policy of shock therapy, a radical and risky program that ended state-imposed prices on consumer goods, opened the country up to foreign imports and investment, created a convertible currency, and promoted the privatization of state-run factories and services. Shock therapy was very harsh, painful, and controversial, and led at first to a sharp rise in unemployment to more than 20%, with many goods becoming simply unaffordable. But over time, Poland's economy righted itself, helped by the decisions of Western banks and the International Monetary Fund to write off much of its foreign debt and to reschedule debt repayments at far lower interest rates and to push off repayment far into the future as well. The US government also added, added a great deal of help by passing the Support East European Democracy Act in 1991, sometimes called the SEED Act, that provided $800 million in economic assistance to Poland. Consumer prices soon stabilized in Poland and unemployment rates began dropping. By 1995, Poland was becoming recognized as having one of the fastest growing economies in Europe. Poland's Third Republic placed heavy emphasis on diplomacy from the start. It established good relations with all the countries on its borders, and it rejected any claims on territories that lost to the Soviet Union after World War II. This decision was especially important in terms of enhancing Poland's relations with Germany. Poland also succeeded in persuading Russia to remove its military forces from the country. In the years after, Poland achieved two extraordinary goals. In 1999, 10 years after those elections, it was admitted into the NATO alliance. And in 2003, it became a member of the European Union. These two accomplishments enhanced Poland's national security and enhanced its economic progress as well, and made Poland a full member of the transatlantic community of democratic nations. Today, this community of 36 countries includes the United States, of course, and Canada. In the political realm, 
Poland established an elected presidency in 1990. This office was to be elected for five-year terms. In all, since then, Poland has had seven presidential elections. All of these elections have been free, open, universal, and honestly conducted. Poland has had five presidents, starting with Solidarity Leader Lech Wałęsa, then Alexander Kwaśniewski, Lech Kaczynski, Bronislaw Komorowski, and now Andrzej Duda, who was elected in 2015 and re-elected in 2020. Poland has had, held a total of nine parliamentary elections to its two-house legislature after 1989. The most recent was in October of 2019. Again, all of these elections have been conducted properly and their results have been accepted by the voters as fair. In addition, Poland has conducted local elections every four years since 1990 and has held a number of referendums as well. The most notable of these referendums came in 1997 when Poland citizens approved a new constitution for Poland. Now, what does all of this information signify? In my view, it shows that Poland has indeed achieved a remarkable degree of success as a democracy. Indeed, 1989 stands out as a truly important year, a watershed year in Poland's thousand-year-long history. What is more, over these 32 years, Poland's democracy has met two important tests. One involves having elections where the opposition wins office from the incumbents and where the incumbents accept the results. That's an extremely important test for democracy. The second involves popular and elite acceptance of election results where the vote is very close. For example, in presidential elections, this has been the case in at least three elections. In 1995, in 2010, and this past year in 2020. Now, as to Poland's politics since 1989, let's look more deeply into this matter. Here we might focus on two related points. One involves the way in which Poland's parliamentary elections are conducted. This is very important since in Poland, it is the parliament that is dominant more than the president. They have a parliament dominant system, although the president is important. He's elected by everybody after all. In the 100 member Senate, which is more like an advisory body, elections are held very much like they are in the United States with the win going to candidates who receive the highest number of votes in their districts. However, in the dominant 460 members same, out of which comes the leading party and then they select their, have their prime minister, he runs the country basically with his cabinet, the chief decision, he's the chief decision maker in the country, elections are by proportional representation. It's a different system of election. Here in general, any party receiving at least 5% of the national vote earns seats in the same. This system of election has, of course, resulted in the forming of many political parties, 
and the success of a number of them in winning states in the same. For example, after the 2019 elections, five parties won seats in the same, five. Secondly, let's look at political parties in Poland. Let's start here by keeping in mind what a political party really is. A party is a voluntary association of like-thinking people whose aim is to win elective offices so that their representatives will be in a position to put their programs into law. Parties just don't exist automatically. People have to organize them, put forward attractive candidates and programs, and then succeed in winning enough votes to gain office. In Poland, let's sort of summarize the political party experience right here. First of all, let's keep in mind that the Solidarity Movement, which was a movement dedicated to freedom, to building ties with the West and bringing about social justice, was not a political party. Thus, soon after it came into power in August of 1989, Solidarity began to fragment into a large number of parties, all of them rooted in the Solidarity idea, but having different priorities. Thus, we have post-Solidarity parties identifying closely with the Solidarity Labor Union, with farmers, with the Catholic Church, with moderate and sometimes more radical economic reform ideas, and with anti-communism. This is all shown in the data that I have shared with you about election results in Poland. Secondly, due to the breakup of the Solidarity Movement in 1990 and Poland's very difficult economic conditions at the beginning of the country's Third Republic, activists from the old and discredited Communist Party, which actually dissolved in January 1990, succeeded in organizing a new self-proclaimed Social Democratic Party that came to be known as the Alliance of the Democratic Left, in Polish initials SLD, Soyuz Lewicy Demokratyczne, SLD. Because it was better organized, this party actually won a great number of seats to the same in 1993 and again in 2001, thanks to the proportional representation system. And it actually became the governing party in Poland. That was because the solidarity parties were so divided up and weak. They were fighting among themselves very often. Moreover, its presidential candidate in 1995, Aleksandr Kwasniewski, defeated Lech Wałęsa for president and he was reelected in 2000. So in this first 15 year period from 1900 to 2005, the party situation in Poland was not surprisingly rather chaotic with many post-solidarity parties against the SLD and its allies. However, a big change occurred in the elections for president and parliament that took place in the year 2005. In those, in those elections, two post-solidarity parties won the elections. The Law and Justice Party, led by Yaroslav and Lech Kaczynski, these are two twin brothers who are the leaders of this party, versus the Civic Platform Party, 
led by Donald Tusk. That year, 2005, the SLD was badly defeated due partly to public resentment over widely publicized charges of corruption. Since that time, the SLD has become at best a marginal political factor, although it continues to win some seats in the same thanks to the proportional representation system followed in the same elections. Now, what can we say about these two parties, law and justice and civic platform? For one thing, both are rooted in the solidarity movement. However, this does not mean they are friendly rivals. Rather, they are more like Cain and Abel. They have been at each other's throats from the very beginning. Perhaps a better comparison would be for us to look at our own American history at the beginning of our country. We had Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton. They were both founding fathers of our country. They were both engaged in our war for independence, in the creation of our constitution, and both served as members of our country's first cabinet under President George Washington but they became bitter enemies and wound up establishing our first two political parties, Hamilton Federalists versus Jefferson's Anti-Federalists. In fact, law and justice and civic platform have indeed dominated and shaped Polish political life ever since 2005. Indeed, because they are so evenly matched, the result has been a vigorous, clearly defined, highly competitive politics in Poland. In some ways, however, these parties remain very hard to understand for people outside of Poland. Law and justice, for example, is usually described rather unfavorably in our media as right-wing or populist. In reality, this party, whose roots go back to the early 1990s post-solidarity Center Alliance Party, that was his name, Center Alliance, has some very interesting characteristics. For one thing, it identifies with the very influential Catholic Church in Poland. This is a big plus because in Poland, over 90% of Poles identify as Catholics and as many as 50% are regular churchgoers. It also has an anti-communist and more nationalist character. Its populism is based on its willingness to use government resources to raise the wages of working people, to provide financial benefits for couples with children to raise, and to increase the pensions of the elderly. If it was operating in America, law and justice might actually look a lot like the Democratic Party in the time of John Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson. The Civic Platform Party, its main rival, is usually described as moderate left center or even liberal party. But again, this is not really that accurate of a characterization because Civic Platform's roots also go back to the early 1990s. It goes back to parties like the Democratic Union, the Liberal Democratic Congress, the Freedom Union, a whole bunch of these kinds of parties. And all of them have one thing in common. They were committed to more market-friendly economic policies, balanced budget, 
and strong involvement in the European Union, integration of Poland into the European Union. Uh, the Civic Platform is also a party which is more identified with the idea of separation of church and state, although it is certainly not anti-Catholic or anti-church. If Civic Platform was operating in the United States, it would look a lot like the Republican Party before Trump, a moderately conservative party. Support for each party also differs. Law and justice is strongest in southeastern Poland. It's strong among the rural areas of Poland and among urban working class voters, people who are strongly religious and older people as well. Civic Platform's base is in the cities and it's strongest among better educated, younger, and more secular voters. Now, why is this rivalry between the two parties misunderstood in Western Europe and in our own country? Is it perhaps because Poland itself is all too little understood? In fact, Poland is an outlier culturally. This is due to the continuing strength of its Catholic Church in a Europe that is largely post-Christian and secular. Two, it is also due perhaps due to Poland's close geographical location next to Russia, a powerful autocratic state that for Poland represents a real political challenge, something that is not felt so much among Poland's neighbors, neighbors to the West. As a consequence, Poland is understandably far more interested in maintaining its ties to NATO. This also helps explain why Poland's leaders drew so close to the Trump administration after 2016. After all, President Trump came to Poland and he did deliver in uh, strengthening uh, Poland's relations with NATO by in increasing, uh, placing, Pol placing American soldiers actually in Poland. And of course, selling uh, fighter airplanes to Poland. There are other challenges besides. These involve Poland's handling of social policies connected with the right to life issue. Here, Poland and the Law and Justice Party have come in for a good deal of criticism from the European Union and from people in many other countries. One can also question whether Law and Justice as a party, which has been in control of the country since 2015, has gone further than necessary in how it has dealt with issues connected with Poland's judiciary. Many outside observers have also have to wonder about the party's fixation in having attacked Lech Wałęsa. After all, Wałęsa was the leader of the Solidarity Movement, the deserving recipient of a Nobel Peace Prize, and Poland's first popularly elected president. Indeed, he remains the most recognized and respected modern day Pole after John Paul II, and is really also no longer a factor in political life at the age of 78. Or is it really wise for law and justice to have sharply criticized Donald Tusk, who after all was chosen to head the European Union following serving his service for seven solid years as Poland's prime minister? Let me close here. Poland, the Poland reestablished in 1989, remains a solid, effectively governed and competitive democracy, despite its already noted flaws. 
to over offer just one example. This past year, the Freedom House organization established in 1944 by Eleanor Roosevelt rated Poland in its annual report that covers 200 countries as a solid democracy. Poland, in fact, ranked as on the same level with the United States. As for effectiveness, Poland has done far better than the U.S. in dealing with the pandemic and rates fifth among European countries on this score. On competitiveness in Poland's 2020 presidential election last June, the winning candidate defeated his opponent by less than 1% of the total vote, and the vote was accepted by the voters. What then can we learn from examining Poland's experience since 1989? Looking back, it is clear that a large number of individuals committed to democracy building and to making the tough choices to make democracy work made a tremendous difference. Just as important, these leaders' successes depended on the support they got from their followers the citizens of the country. Thanks to their maturity and their patience, the wrenching reform policies enacted by Poland's leaders got the time they needed to work. But Poland's success in establishing a democratic system after 1989 was not something that the Poles achieved alone, despite the strength of their commitment to reform. Unlike what happened after 1918 or 1945, Poland did receive substantial economic and financial support from the Western democracies when it really counted in the early and mid-1990s. This support made possible the rise and maintenance of a, of a consensus among Poles, regardless of their political leanings. This consensus strengthened Poland's case also for inclusion into the NATO alliance and the European Union. Belonging to these two great associations has further enhanced Poland's national security, economic development, and democratic system. Poland, one of Poland's great challenges, therefore, perhaps, who knows, is for its leaders in government, business, academia, to better present Poland to the world. This is not a matter of disseminating false propaganda either. But as television Sergeant Joe Friday used to say, it's about providing people with the facts, just the facts. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Professor Piankosh. Uh, very informative, uh, rich history, and of course, uh, interesting discussion of contemporary evolution and development of democracy in Poland. So we have some time for some questions or comments from the audience. I, would, I will moderate that uh, discussion. So if anyone would like, uh, please use the raise hand function provided by Zoom, and then I'll ask you to give your question orally because uh, Professor Piekos cannot see the screen. So you'll have to hear your questions. So the floor is open. I'll give people a moment to... Uh, Prepare their questions. Any comment? I see a lot of uh, people. Well, let me start with my own uh, question then. So uh, toward the end, you were talking about the Law and Justice Party. And indeed, you know, I've followed a little bit some of the discussions about uh, criticisms of the party, particularly uh, with respect to its efforts to uh, place restrictions and in some 
for some perspectives to control the Polish judiciary, to limit the freedom of the judiciary. Um, what is your view on this issue? You, you mentioned that you believe that the Law and Justice Party has been mischaracterized in the Western press, uh, but do you think that's inaccurate uh, to, to describe its policies towards the judiciary as one of trying to assert uh, control over the judiciary in Poland, or is that also uh, inaccurate? They might have gone too far on the judiciary. So you, uh, well, I think that uh, it's a, it's a serious issue having to do with the uh, the issue of the judiciary, right? Uh, yes. When they came into power again in 2015, uh, the it was a kind of a I would say a very uh, murky situation. Uh, Poland's uh, courts are appointed by the parliament, okay, uh, all the the entire court system, and uh, the several of the members of the highest court, the constitutional court, their terms were coming to an end, and the government that had lost the election tried to push through the appointment of new judges. It was not really very clear whether they could do this because. They had already had lost the president. They lost the presidential election earlier, and so the president has to really sign these agreements. So this was kind of a murky situation. And when the law and justice came into power, they rescinded those decisions. Okay, and they appointed their own people, and they also changed some of the ground rules for how the Supreme Court uh, could operate in Poland. So it, you know, it got them into really into a big argument with the European Union. Okay, and that argument really has not been really settled. Uh, it's a kind of a problem here. Is it, you know, to what extent does a government have the power to make changes in the structure of its system? Uh, and to what extent should it be uh, uh, really beholden to uh, international uh, uh, observers and foreign governments? And so my, my personal feeling here is that they did go kind of far. They went too far, I think, on this issue. Whether it's a constitutional violation or not, it's another issue. We could talk about that. But I think that that's really, they, in a sense, they unnecessarily attacked the judiciary. And I don't understand, uh, in a sense, uh, some of the arguments here. Because, you know, for example, in our system, we do choose our judges, our federal judges, whether we're Supreme Court or District Court or Appellate Court, our federal judges are appointed for life. And the Polish judges were appointed for life as well, you see. And the law and justice, uh, some of their advocates were saying, well, these judges were not to be trusted. Well, that's an argument that I don't know if it really was uh, correct to make. You see, you want to have an independent judiciary. And at the same time, it could be uh, unpopular with a lot of people and maybe with the majority party. So perhaps they might have done a better thing to try to get a constitutional amendment passed to change the uh, system that they wanted to have in uh, the judiciary. Okay, so, you know, and to make accusations, for example, as some of their more extraordinary people have made, uh, saying that these, uh, that, the, that the system was corrupt and things like that. I think that probably is way over overdoing it, you know. Uh, uh, 
Now, it's an interesting thing in Poland. Uh, if you want to change the constitution, you want to restructure the, the court system, for example, okay, you can do it fairly easily. You can do it if you have two thirds of the parliament. It's not so hard. You know, just think how hard it is to, to change and make an amendment to our constitution. We have to have what? Two thirds, you have to have the, 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 the both houses of Congress have to pass it by two thirds majority, and then three quarters of all of the states have to pass it. In other words, 38 out of 50 states to pass a constitutional amendment. Now, in Poland, it's a lot easier. And perhaps they might have been wiser to do that, but they didn't. They chose a different path, and it's gotten them kind of a black eye uh, in the uh, uh, in the international community, particularly among some of the European Union states. Okay. Now, and of mm -hmm. course, you know, we we know that after the election, uh, after the presidential election, they have another issue that came up, of course, which was uh, the Supreme Court's uh, ruling that a rather you know, extremely strict uh, anti-abortion law was seen to be constitutional, and that provoked widespread demonstrations against the against the court. Okay, and the court leaders now, who are appointed now by uh, primarily by the Law and Justice, they argued that the that the, uh, that the Constitution uh, guarantees the right to life, and they took this very very strict position. And of course, again, it got a a lot of controversy in Europe. So my sense is that perhaps they would have been wiser to have chosen a different procedure for uh, reforming the court system. And that would have been doing it through a constitutional amendment. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's very interesting. Those two issues uh, have really gotten Poland in the news in the, in the last year or so. And it'll be interesting to see how it plays out in terms of the Poland-EU relationship. Okay, are there other questions, other comments? Uh, anyone else? Uh, yes, uh, we have a question from Colleen. Please turn on your mic and ask your question. Um, not necessarily a question, but a comment that um, I just found it very interesting, uh, trying to summarize a very complex history and a short period of time. And um, just a little side, I, I had the opportunity, amazing opportunity to live in Poland during that time from, nine, from 89 for about 12 years. So, you know, it was just very interesting to watch your country change and the incredible effect it had on the people who lived there. And, you know, just understanding that democracy is hard and democracy takes a lot of work. And I think, you know, that also just, I lived in Warsaw for for most of the time, but just people just coming to terms with that, that the ideal of democracy, because Poland was so close to the United States, you know, but having to go through that themselves, understanding the process. And, you know, now that they've gone through it and just based upon, you know, the conversation, the questions that you just answered, it is a worry that the democracy will be allowed to continue. And, you know, you see the protesting on the street, you see the unbelievable brutality of the police against, you know, the people fighting, particularly concerning abortion. And, you know, that has to survive. That's part of democracy, that freedom of speech and not to clamp down on it. And I don't know what your thoughts are, you know, concerning that, that 
understanding that that has to be part of what democracy is. And we've seen in our own country how, how challenging it can be, you know, with January 6th, what happened there, and then how much, you know, democracy can never be taken for granted. Thank you very much for um, those comments. Yeah, do you have a, a very, a very good question? I think, can I, if I could throw a couple of thoughts out to you on the, in response? Absolutely. First of all, uh, I really do think that the important point to, first to make is to recognize how extraordinary has been the success mm-hmm. of Polish democracy. I mean, I mean, as I as I tried to point out in my remarks, uh, very very few people were optimistic about Poland's chances back in 1989. Poland had really the most severe economic crisis, and they had a regime which had really lost completely the confidence of the people. Now, when you have a situation like that. You don't know what's going to happen next. And mm-hmm. Poland did not did not go off the track. They mm-hmm. maintained a very serious, responsible commitment to democracy from the very beginning. And I think that is really the big story. Now, the, the point about the uh, democracy today, I don't really think that this is a serious problem. I know we can get excited about this, this danger of somehow they lose democracy. The fact of the matter is the party that is in power won the election fair and square. It's up to the opposition, like in any democracy, to figure out how to win the election fair and square the next time, you see? Mm-hmm. And they are having their problems because they, the, the people, the voters did vote for the, the Law and Justice Party. It was not by trickery or anything like that. They didn't mm-hmm. stuff any ballots. This was a very fair election. You know, let me just give you a point about this last presidential election, how remarkable this election really was. You know, first of all, uh, just to say a word about how they elect their presidents is a little bit different than ours. They elect presidents in Poland by uh, every party has the right to nominate anybody they want, okay? All they have to do is meet the requirements of being eligible. And of course, in the individuals can be nominated. They can run as independents. Okay, that's the Polish system. And all you need to do is to have a hundred thousand or more signatures, petitions for your election. And if you can get over a hundred thousand certifications that you are a candidate for president, you're on the ballot. Isn't that amazing? Now, Poland before the pandemic was looking at about 25 possible candidates for president. Now, the major candidates were the incumbent, uh, Andrzej Duda, and the opposition party, the major opposition party, Civic Platform. They had actually a convention before the election, before the, uh, and they nominated a lady, a woman, her name was Małgorzata, Kidawa Bloinska, <laughs> Margaret, her name would be Margaret Kidawa Bloinska. She had been the marshal of the, of the parliament. She had been like the speaker of the house and she was nominated. And of course, all these other parties nominated candidates. Now, what happened then was amazing. Of course, the pandemic hit Poland and it threw everything up for grabs because once you nominate candidates, the first thing you have to do is get those 100,000 signatures. And a lot, of, a lot of these independent candidates couldn't get them. You couldn't get outside and get people to sign up. You know how it was in our country as well, how everything was so paralyzed. And so as it turned out, there were 11 candidates 
who got on the ballot. Okay, 11. Then the issue was how to conduct the election because now Poland's elections are this way. They first have an election, it's on a Sundays always, uh, where everybody is running. If one candidate gets the absolute majority of all the seats, that person is elected. But if there's a lot of candidates, that's very unlikely. And then they have a second runoff election just two weeks later, okay, with the top two candidates running. Now, what happened was in Poland, they were having the election in May. But by May, it, was, it didn't look like anything could happen. There was tremendous frustration about how could they have an election with this pandemic. And so the governing party, the Law and Justice, they initially wanted to push ahead and have the election. But they couldn't get the votes in the parliament to support that. Then the, the, uh, uh, somebody said, well, let's have an election with absentee ballots. <laughs> that didn't work. That was also thrown out. And what happened then was that they decided to push back the election all the way to June, not to postpone it, not to cancel it, not to hold it under questionable circumstances, not to get involved with this absentee ballot stuff. They really just moved the election back. Now, what happened there was that uh, Kidava Bloinska, the civic platform candidate, you know what she did? She said, cancel the elections or boycott them, boycott the elections. <laughs> and guess what? All her support just disappeared and she had to resign as the candidate. But guess what they did? The civic platform was allowed to nominate somebody else. What do you call that? And they nominated the mayor of Warsaw, a young fellow named Chaskowski, about 48 year old guy, a mayor of Warsaw, and he became the candidate. And guess what? Before you know it, these two candidates, Duda and Chaskowski, became the dominant candidates. And when the, the first round was held in June, uh, Duda won by, he got about 40, 43%, and Chaskowski got about 30%. So they were the two major candidates. All the others fell beside, fell behind, okay? So they were the runoff candidates. And when the election was held two weeks later in July, just, uh, Duda won with about 51% and Chaskowski won, lost by 49%. And he accepted the results. The people accepted the results. We didn't have anybody saying that the election was rigged. We didn't have anybody saying that we don't accept the results. They accepted the results. So when we talk about a country being going into some sort of autocratic or non-democratic tradition, I don't think the I don't think the statistics the facts really bear that out. Uh, it's uh, these these parties have be played by the rules. They have played by the rules. You know, there's one other little piece of information I'd like to share with you. It's kind of funny. I was looking at you know in Poland the newspapers and the uh, the uh, the uh, survey uh, organizations. They have so many of them. They they. Uh, they do this monthly survey. Who is the most trusted person in Polish political life? And who is the least trusted? And you know, in Poland, you know what it is? Not one single political leader is trusted. <laughs> they all are distrusted more than they're trusted, which seems to me a very healthy attitude about government. Just don't trust people, expect them to govern properly. And I think that's pretty healthy, it seems to me, you know? Mm -hmm. so. Now, there's another criticism of the law and justice, of course, is that they were controlling the media. 
but mm -hmm. they only controlled one element of the media, and that was their net, uh, the public television. All the uh, there's a lot of TV stations in Poland, a lot of radio stations, all kinds of newspapers and magazines. They had the internet. There was no real issue, and when this issue came up. Uh, it was rejected by the courts because the fact of the matter is people had plenty of opportunity to get the facts. And Mr. Chaskowski, the mayor of uh, Warsaw, did get almost enough to win the election. He almost won the election. Well, uh, not Any very- Any other questions? No, uh, thank you very much. Uh, you know, we've actually reached the end of our allotted time, uh, which we, we ended at 5.15. Um, but you know, I'm sure the rest of the audience joins me in uh, deep appreciation for the very uh, detailed and informative lecture. So um, I will give you my applause and other people are clapping as well. Uh, it's been a great pleasure and uh, thank you all for attending and uh, we hope you will join us at future Krika lectures at the same time, same place. So with that, I will bid you farewell.